0: Hey guys, welcome to episode one of The Kingdom and the Power, a podcast dedicated to helping listeners reimagine the world, life, and faith from a distinctly Christian perspective. I'm your host, Josh Robinson, and on today's episode, I interviewed Mike Bull. Mike Bull, is a graphic designer who lives and works in the blue mountains west of sydney australia and his passion is understanding and teaching the bible mike also blogs on occasion at theopolis institute and he's also the author of multiple books such as the bible matrix moses and the revelation reading the bible in 3d and the end of israel If you guys would like more information on Mike, you can find him at www.biblematrix.com.au. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me at thekingdomandthepower at gmail.com. Also, please be sure to subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform that you're listening to and leave us an honest five-star review. Guys, I hope you enjoy the episode, and we'll see you on the other side. Mike, go ahead and introduce yourself for the listeners, if you would.
1: Okay, well, I didn't realise this was the pilot episode. <laughs> <laughs> if you get cancelled, it was my fault, yeah? yeah. Uh, right. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a graphic designer. I live in the Blue Mountains, which is west of Sydney, about a, an hour or two drive, depending on how fast you drive. Um, yeah, uh, I've been blogging and writing books for about 10 years. Uh, I was a big fan of uh, James B. Jordan and uh, Peter Lightheart, and I thought the stuff really needed to be boiled down and systematised, if you, if, you, if you like, for yeah. the average reader. I don't think I've achieved that yet. I might have made it more complicated, but anyway. Um, yeah, so I really I, I love biblical structure and um, uh, just as a way of understanding the Bible better so that it's, it's, uh, we can understand the mind of God and how he works. Uh, So yeah, that's, that's, that's me really. Yeah. Thanks for that, Mike. So
0: today, really what I want to do is with our time together um, is talk about your work, the Bible matrix. And so I got a hold of the Bible matrix about a year ago, I think uh, about that time. And man, whenever I read it, it really blew me away. And so you were kind of talking about some of the things that you were just now talking about, like systematic typology. Uh, I had never heard that term before. And, um,
1: well, I made, I made it up. <laughs>
0: that's, why, that's why I've never heard of it before. But but it made, it made a <laughs> lot of sense to me um, because you were talking about in that book, like um, packages, uh, just for lack of better words, like packaging that contained certain symbols in certain places. And as I was reading through it, I was like, oh my gosh, this guy is like, how is he figuring this stuff out? Like, how does, how is he seeing this stuff? And so what I want to do is really spend some time today unlocking that for listeners, if you would.
1: Sure.
0: Okay. So the first question that I have for you today is, is what exactly is the Bible matrix, right? And, and you talk about reading the Bible in 3d and you, and you talk about the Bible being a fractal. What what exactly is it
1: you mean by that? Um, yeah, look, I just, I use those terms just to suck people in really. I mean, it is a fractal. If you know, it's a, what's really funny is I wrote as my first book was about 700 pages long, which is just crazy. Um, wow. But I, didn't, I don't use the word fractal there because I didn't know what a fractal was when I wrote that book. And then some, a friend read it and said, oh, the Bible's a fractal. I had to Google it. <laughs> so, so even though I knew what the, the concept was, I didn't know that what a fractal was. But look, basically the matrix is that God has a certain way of working and it's consistent. And it means that he works through a number of steps, usually seven steps. Yeah. And uh, it's a process of, of creation and transformation and uh probably the best way to understand it is it has a process of planting and harvest and everything he does in the bible follows the same pattern even though uh it the the circumstances change as history develops but that pattern is the shape of the whole bible and it's the shape of every part of the bible and I used the example of broccoli, even though it might not be a particularly tasty vegetable, uh, depending on whether or not you add salt or cheese. But uh, the Bible is—it means that if you understand the basic formula of how God works, you can understand every part of the Bible, because you can just drop into it and go, "Okay, we're at this 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 part of the broccoli," or even though that's probably where the analogy falls down um you can understand that god doesn't the bible's not just a whole lot of bits of information yeah it's 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 sequences of action it's like cooking you start with something raw and then you 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 cut it up and you cook it and then it smells good and you put it on the plate and you present it and then when you see that that's the pattern of genesis 1 (laughs) in the same sense and that that is then replicated in the pattern of sacrifice, whatever, and then you see it in the book of Revelation and you think, this is a process of transformation from something that's natural that God's created to something glorious that is cultivated and refined and is presentable to God from man. So um, it, it makes sense of, it means that the Bible's not a big jumble of stuff that's just been thrown together. It's yeah. actually a sequence. And that's where um, I the 3D part comes in. If anyone has uh, looked at those magic eye puzzles where it's just a, a collection of coloured dots or shapes, and you've got to go a bit cross-eyed, <clears throat> and then when you do that, you start to see that what, the, the shape that's kind of hidden hidden in it. You can see all sorts of 3D things. But So the cross-eyed part is when you're comparing, say, the first seven books of the Bible with... The pattern in the book of revelation and they actually match up step by step the seven steps probably the easiest one is um uh the book of joshua which has rahab the harlot in jericho and in revelation that's it's that's the sixth book and revelation step six is the woman with the cup and and every step of revelation it's interpreted by what's gone before so that's where the fractal stuff comes in every part of the bible because they all have the same shape interprets the, the other parts they, it helps to make sense of the of the other parts of it. So um, then, all of a sudden, you know what you're dealing with, and it's once you know the tune and you hear it again, you go, oh, okay, I know what's going on here." Yeah, yeah. This, it's it's like getting a joke. You you yeah. you you're reading it and you're saying, "Yep, I know what comes next." Let's see what God does with that step in this instance. And it's really exciting. It is. It's like suddenly seeing that three D image in a, a magic eye puzzle, and you go, "Right, I get it now." So does yeah. that help? <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's, I think that that's helpful. Um, I've, I've used, I've heard other folks talk about uh, this kind of as like a musical motif in a way. So like whenever you get used to hearing the motif, you know, what's coming. So for example, like I'm thinking star Wars, right? Like Darth Vader, when Darth Vader comes on, there's a, there's a motif that's always playing whenever it shows him. And so whenever you hear that music anywhere in the movie, you know, that Darth Vader's just around the corner. You know what I mean? And so in some ways it's kind of related. I feel like
1: it is, it's, it is, it's musical in the sense that um, it does have a tune. Sometimes it's in a major, it's major. And it's, it's a happy thing. It's it's a creation pattern. Um, What I love is uh, an example is the the book of Ezekiel, which starts working through um, and actually a lot of the prophets, they work through the creation pattern, but at every step, God is deconstructing. He's pulling down the house And in that case, it's the temple. But he's, you know, um, at the, I mentioned the the Joshua step in Revelation. In the first part of Ezekiel, it's when he sets up a little model city and he brings an army against it. You know, and you think, okay, we're at that step now. That's why there's this particular action. God is working through this pattern and he's predicting that he's going to de-create Israel, which was like a miniature version of the world. Uh, It's like one of those, you know, in the old days before they had computer graphics, when they wanted to blow something up in a movie, they'd build a model, you right. know, because it was cheaper. You couldn't blow up an actual city or a mountain. So. Right. And it's funny, as in Star Wars, they're moving back to sort of using actual models and things now because, you know, they tend to look a bit more real. But uh, in the Bible, God builds models as substitutes, as sacrificial substitutes. So, you know, instead of destroying the world, he would destroy the temple, which was an image of The world. The world. So in Ezekiel, he's he's saying, "I'm going to decreate you, and I'm going to work through those seven steps in Genesis one, step by step." And uh, you know that's that's where the theme comes in. You think, "Okay, this is the creation theme, but it's in a minor key. This is a, it's 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 kind of like the happy tune, but now it sounds a bit more like Darth Vader." You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's it's it makes the Bible a lot of fun. It's like it's more like watching a movie and. You know, you're, you're, um, our problem is we're watching like, or a long, t- long, long-running TV series. We're watching season five, and we haven't watched seasons one to four, and we expect to know what's, understand what's going on. And you've got to read it cumulatively, and that's what um, James B. Jordan was was big on that. He said, look, if you're reading the Bible and you don't have the Torah, the books of Moses under your belt, and remember a lot of the the, the details and the sequences and stuff you're not going to understand the con the, the the context of what's happening so especially the prophets because um uh they're kind of like god's repo men you know when when uh, they're coming with the, the contract they're holding up the contract you know that israel signed and saying hey remember this yeah and they're and, and then they're, they're throwing out all these nasty jokes yeah. that refer to the books of moses and sometimes turning things upside down and and whatever. And unless you understand, you remember what's in the contract, you're not going to get the jokes, you know? So, yep. um, they're very serious jokes that they're, 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 they're ridiculing the, the people who are breaking God's law, uh, who should know better. And, um, uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, probably the best one is that terrible story of Elisha setting the bears on, on the children. Right. And everyone's, yeah. everyone's, everyone's, horrified. Cause they're like, what, why hang on? We, <laughs> you know, like, it's, is this breaking bad? <laughs> you know, like like why, what's going on? But then if you go back to uh, Leviticus, God's so uh, in the, in the, in uh, the promises to Israel, he said, as you conquer the land, I will drive the beasts out. Right. Bit by bit. I'll only do it bit by bit because if I, if I get rid of them in, in one go, the land will become desolate because you know, you need, you need people or animals at least to kind of maintain the land. That's how things work. Yeah. Uh, so, but, He said, if you disobey me, I'll bring the beasts back. They will devour your children and the roads will become desolate. And so when you see Elisha do this, we're supposed to go, "Uh oh, that's a sign of what's coming. That's why he did it, because he is the instrument of God bringing the curses of the law. But what's even better is the fact that he's here he is in Bethel, which is where one of the golden calves was. So there was a center of idolatry. He had just healed the wombs of the women in jericho who believed so he'd given children to the city of jericho which as we know was the one that was totally destroyed yeah and now he's taking the children from the women of israel which is an inversion he's blessing the gentiles because they believed and cursing the jews because they didn't believe so there's a lot going on in that story and if we have the background of the law then we understand the joke in a sense and we and it's it's you know it's like oh i remember that back in season 1 yep yeah, okay gotcha yeah. it's 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 subtle and modern tv shows have the same kind of subtlety where you have to remember events sometimes going back a few seasons <laughs> which is yeah. kind of hard yeah, um, no. so yeah it's it is it's a bit if we if we read the bible a bit more like we watch tv then we'd have a lot more success with it
0: yeah, I think that's a I think that's a timely word also, Mike, especially in our culture and in our world where people are talking about um unhitching from the old testament. Um and uh, you know, saying that we don't need the old testament and that kind of thing. And and you're saying no, mm-hmm. unless we have this thing, we're not gonna understand really what's going on here. And so I think that's a very,
1: very timely word. Yes. And then you don't get Jesus jokes either, especially, (laughs) especially, or, or, or Paul, I mean, you know, they all refer to the old Testament again and again. And then when you get to revelation, it's just the old Testament loaded into a machine gun and just fired out, you know, one, one shot after another in close succession. And every line is like a hyperlink to the old Testament. Um, I mean, it's not that hard, really. If you call someone a Balaam, What are you saying? You're saying you're a false prophet. If you call someone a Jezebel, you know it's these. That's the sort of jokes that these are. They just means that every line brings a whole story with it, and it just means that you can pack a lot of um, information into. You know, a friend of mine. uh, His his example was: if you said to someone, "Oh, yeah, that time of my life, it was my own personal Mordor," (laughs) you know, you go. Ah, Lord of the Rings, I get the joke, you know, and, and yeah. straight away all of that story is just packed into that one sentence. So we look yeah, just disengaging from the Old Testament is is uh you know, no. it just it's gonna make people um more ignorant than they already
0: are. <laughs> no. No, no doubt. So last year at our church plant we did a sermon series just kind of covering the major stories, uh, in the, in in the old Testament, we called it gospel according to the old Testament. And so for a lot of our folks, that was the first time that they had ever really been exposed to the old Testament in any significant way. And a lot of them had never knew that there were prefigurings of of Jesus there and those types of things as well. Uh, And so that was really eye opening for a lot of people, but, um,
1: yeah. yeah, Also too, if they, um, I mean, you know, you're enthusiastic about it. If you're enthusiastic about something uh, that, as with school teachers, I remember one of my kids had a history teacher who was just so enthusiastic about history. And that, yeah. they, they, they became enthusiastic about it the way he was excited about it, the way he taught it. And, um, but also, too, if you're actually opening up the Old Testament, in your enthusiasm and catching people up and saying, look, this stuff is actually really exciting. And now see how that plays into the, the new Testament. Um, That was when I first started listening to James Jordan's lectures. Uh, some of the things that he said, you know, I, I, I knew the Bible, but when he was making these connections, I thought, I knew this had to be the case. I yeah. finally, someone's actually unlocking it. And uh, his revelation lectures are, I mean, they go on for years, basically, you know, it took yeah. him two years to record them, but, um, at Old Sunday School, that would have been pretty amazing. But yeah. when he said things like, okay, Jesus is healing, healing people, and we always ask, why didn't he heal everybody? Mm. And he's, he's, he says he's healing Jewish people of things that made them ceremonially unclean and therefore unfit to attend worship. didn't mean they, they weren't Jews anymore. It right. just meant that they couldn't participate as sacrifices without blemish. In you know, in under the law, you had to have if you had a spot on your skin or anything, right. and it sounds strange to us, but it's basically God saying, Look, you Jews are an image to the rest of the world. Um, the ones who come to worship have to be sacrifices without blemish,
0: yeah. And
1: that's and that's obviously a picture of moral holiness. And I thought that makes sense when, as you, as you say, people who only know the New Testament they ask questions like, Why did Jesus only heal a certain people? The reason is that they were signs that this physical healing was a picture of the spiritual healing that he was bringing. So in context that's, and that's also why uh, with the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, in, in acts, he doesn't receive any healing. The message to him is Jesus was cut off in the prime of life without any offspring. That's kind of like you, even though with Jesus, it was by choice. Right. But now you too can be that lamb without blemish that you've been reading about in the text.
0: Yeah.
1: And you can be just as holy and acceptable to God, even though you're not whole,
0: yeah.
1: uh, because now the spiritual reality has come. And so once you understand these things, the, the background, um, all the little details that we think are just kind of irrelevant and, and drag things out and, and hold up the story are actually crucial. So um, it is it's like... It's like, uh, if you remember at the end of the book of Job, God points out to Job all of these things in creation. And Have you seen this? Have you seen this? Have you seen this? Right. And Job had already seen them. And that's like us with the Bible. We've already seen this, these things, but suddenly God points out what they're for and what they mean. And, and our eyes are opened in a understanding sense, uh, like Adam and Eve in the garden, their eyes are open. Their eyes are already open, their physical eyes, but all of a sudden they understood. And that's like, uh, understanding how God communicates, and you're reading the text, and suddenly you get it. It's not like watching a foreign movie with no subtitles anymore. You know, <laughs> yeah. there's nothing worse than that. We're trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. I, you know, yeah. Oh, I've it's, just had a, it's 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 AM here, and I've just had a coffee. So, you know. <laughs> this is exactly what I
0: wanted, Mike. I wanted you and I to be able to just sit and just go back and forth and, and just see how it goes. That's exactly what I wanted. Yeah.
1: Oh, but look! I find it, it's really exciting to suddenly have something make sense. That was mysterious. But one thing too, is I find that people today who want to disengage from the old Testament, uh, they don't, for me, it's always like, I do trust God. I know that this book has an internal logic going on. There's something going on here that we don't understand. And that's why some of it's strange to us but if you know God and you trust him, you know, that there's, there's, there is a reason it's not a jumble. It's not a book that's just been thrown together or a composite of different documents. As some people believe there's a reason for the weird bits, <laughs> you know,
0: the weird bits are usually for, the
1: important ones. Well, yeah, that's right. And it's like, right. you know, uh, these things have been given to us to help us to, uh, it's, it, it's work to work them out. But, I knew that there was some kind of internal logic to things, and it's this pattern, this pattern of harvest. and once you see that that's what's going on in a passage, all of a sudden you go, Ah, oh, this is just another variation on the theme. And uh, you know, it's God's really good at sequels. every time Every time that this pattern comes up again, it's it's the same pattern, so it gives you the same experience that you had in the first movie. And yet it's all, it's entirely new as well. And that's, that's so you can have the same experience, you know, that's God's actually really good at at sequels. I like to say when uh, you start reading the new Testament and it begins with a genealogy and a lot of people are sort of, well, great. This is, we'll skip chapter one. How boring is that? But if you're, if you were in that culture and you had no Bible, no new revelation for 400 years, Matthew one is like the beginning of a new star Wars movie with the beginning, the, the scroll, the, the, yeah. the words going up the screen, you know, and you're yep. like, Oh wow. Yep. Oh wow. Here we go again. And also Matthew's got some jokes in there too. You know, like yeah. he's including all of these scandalous women who were, uh, no doubt. they didn't tend to mention women and yep. here he is including Rahab and Tamar and Bathsheba and, and that's supposed to be a bit shocking, but he's, it it pre it prefigures what's going on in the book where God is redeeming the Gentiles who believe and bringing them in to the people of God. So, uh, but yeah, it's like the next movie, and it's it's a lot better than you know Star Wars sequels. <clears throat> this,
0: <laughs> no doubt, no doubt about that. Uh, look, some of the things you're talking about here kind of reminds me in ways like you're talking about unhitching from the Old Testament and and, and not knowing the patterns and you know, uh, it kind of reminds me in, in a way of Matthew 24, it, you know, it's a, you know, hot, hotly debated passage, you know, eschatological mm-hmm. passage. And then, you know, whenever you kind of get some of this stuff under your belt, like the temple is a microcosm of the world. Um, yeah. and you see Jesus there and he talks about, Hey, like he's in Matthew 24, he's just coming out of the temple. Right. And he says, mm-hmm. your house is going to be left to you desolate. And then yeah. he, he kind of goes on in and then he, t- he uses this type of it, it's like cosmic language to talk about what's to come. And so often we, t- we kind of disconnect that from the pattern, you know what I mean? And we think, Oh, this is talking about, you know, our age right now. And, you know, it's talking about COVID-19 and, you know, some of that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. and yeah. And so that what you're saying kind of puts me in the mind of some of that kind of stuff. Whenever we we, lose track of uh, the patterns and we disconnect and unhitch from the old Testament. That's typically where we end up.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know, I got into uh, David Chilton's book when it first came out actually, uh, yeah. which was just by chance I saw it in a Christian bookshop and the days of vengeance, which is a, wow. a commentary on revelation. That was about 1988. And I remember looking and I thinking, ah, oh, I've never heard anyone talk like this yeah, and, and be so engaged with the old Testament. This, it, you know, when when you think I've just, I've found the answer. Now, I think that book is a little bit obsolete now. I think James Jordan does a better job, but he was, you know, he was involved with that book and, as far as I know, and then he developed things even further. So, you know, there's been progress since then, but it's yeah. a fantastic foundation. But for me, the question was, why did the prophets use cosmic language? It's, it's easy enough to say, you know, when they talk about, Jesus talks about stars falling from heaven. He's actually quoting isaiah 13 which is talking about the judgment of babylon right and then james jordan says well stars are pictures of kings because stars and sun moon and stars are the the ruling lights right so when it says the stars will fall it means well this is the end of your world but my question is why do they use that sort of language yeah and listening to 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 james jordan um the reason is because firstly, because human society is a, is, a, is a microcosm anyway. We're made out of world stuff. The pattern in Genesis 1 is repeated in Genesis 2, where God, it, it zooms in on Adam and Eve and, and create the, their, their creation, but also giving them roles and yep. their office. And chapter 2 is weird because it follows the pattern of Genesis 1. It's a social creation based on the pattern of the physical creation. And as Jordan says, because they're made out of world stuff, it follows the same pattern. So Adam and Eve and on the mountain of Eden, yeah. we know it's a mountain because what rivers flow downhill. So when you see that pattern in human history, you can see that the story from Adam to Noah is all about the physical creation with a judgment of the physical world. And then in Abraham, God creates this social model. We talked about models yeah. where it's not all the dry land. It's just the land of Canaan. And now when the floods come, it's the flood of Gentile armies. It's a social flood. Yeah. Israel is the land and the nations are the sea. And so the reason the prophets use cosmic language is because God is judging the world, but he's judging this microcosmic world so he doesn't have to destroy the yeah. whole actual world. Yeah. And then when you get to Jesus and Jesus is going to the cross, he's, he's now shrunk it even further. And he says, now is the judgment of this world. Right. In me, basically. Yeah. And, you, and uh, that's that's like, okay, so you are now representing not just yourself, but also the social microcosm of Israel and the Gentiles as land and sea, and but also the physical world of the actual land and the actual sea. Yeah. And so Jesus going to the cross means that God doesn't have to destroy everything. So when you understand that God works with sacrificial models, yeah. Uh, you know when abraham offered isaac when there was a ram caught in the thicket yeah. the ram was a sacrificial model of isaac right and so that's where this cosmic language comes in you're like god's going to destroy all this stuff in a type and then jordan points out that uh and i don't want to lose anybody here but leviticus is a weird book right right <laughs> yeah <laughs> but, but You know, it's one of those things where you go, I don't know what's going on here at all. This is like, it's like watching Twin Peaks. I've got no idea what's happening or why, you know. Um, But Jordan says the first offering there, there's five offerings for, for individuals at the start that they could make. He said the first one, which is called an Ascension offering, he said, it is actually following the pattern of Genesis 1, but in flesh and blood. And so what you're doing when you make this Ascension offering is you are destroying the world in a model, in a pattern. Yeah. You know, it's it's a bit it's a bit like when Jeremiah takes the rulers of Jerusalem down to the, the valley where they got the clay from, the yeah. Valley of Hinnom, which is where we get the word Gehenna from. And he has these clay pots, you know, and these rulers will be thinking, what are we doing down here, whatever. Anyway, so Jeremiah starts smashing these pots and then he says, God's going to do that to you. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. And yeah. that's, and that's what this model in Leviticus is. It's, a, it's the creation, but it's, it's as a pattern of destruction. And it follows this. That's, and he says, the Jordan's great. He says, that's why they splashed the blood on the sides of the altars because that's the land and the sea. And you're like, Whoa, this is, this is, this is movie stuff. Right. You know, this is, this is dramatic visual stuff that's there to make an impact. And We don't get it. I mean, we're supposed to figure it out. He doesn't say, hey, this is what's going on here. But so when Jesus is offered as the sacrifice, as a model of the whole social world and the physical world, he can use cosmic language as well. And then, of course, when he dies, the temple becomes obsolete because a better model has been offered. And he's building a new social model, which is the church. The temple becomes obsolete. And then, when we get to to Peter and Peter says the elements will melt with fervent heat and the sun moon, I think you know anyway, he uses cosmic language, yeah, we can understand that those images of the cosmos in the temple are what he's talking about in the context of it. yeah he's saying that the old creation and that that brought the end of animal sacrifice as well, that was all coming to an end. that's his context, so uh it doesn't mean that. Um, there's not going to be a, a future judgment because God. History works from the physical creation under Adam to Noah, then to a social creation from Abraham to Jesus, then personal in Jesus, and now it's working back out again to a social construct, which is the church, which is like a resurrection body. It's like right. Israel was a natural body; the church is a is a, uh, a spiritual body in the sense it's still physical and social, but it's it's spiritual at heart and then at the end of history we move back into the restoration of the created order so it's it's a symmetrical process where the history works from from the outside right in and zooms into jesus and then it, then it slowly works its way back out again uh to the, the whole world so yeah. that's the uh, that's my answer to cosmic language i i want to know why that's the yeah. question we need to ask we can read something and go oh yeah well that's this but then i'm like why you know like i'm I'm annoying i question everything and that's what we have to do that you know god does something and we go well why you know like i trust you that's the key though we have to trust him first to understand that there is an answer and that's not just an ancient book that was made up and these things are sort of obsolete yeah. but to understand that there's always a reason and that god does things and doesn't always explain them because he wants us to grow in wisdom and to figure these things out and that's a long process i mean we're still figuring things out about the new Testament. Uh, it's been, that's been a couple of thousand years. Um, we're still figuring things out about the old Testament, you know? So, um, it's, 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 uh, how can I put that? It's a bit like Adam in the garden of Eden when God allows a serpent in and there was no warning, you know, Adam had enough to go on, but he had to use his brain, but he had to use his brain in faith. Right. And to say, hang on. Okay. Satan or this serpent is challenging God's law. What should be my response to you based on what I know? Yeah. And that's the same with this current crisis with the, the plague. You know, it's like, all right, uh, based on what I know of God, what is he doing here? How has he worked in the past? Yeah. You know, and is it the end of the world or is it just God humbling us, reminding us that we're not gods, that uh, we are very vulnerable, um, I think he's kind of he 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 likes to shake the world to see what falls down and what stands. Um, so understanding how he works in the past and extrapolating that is, and that's how the prophets worked. They're like, well, God's done this in the past. We know how he works. He's doing this again. You need to wake up to that. Anyone who says we're not going to be judged is ignoring, yeah. <laughs> you know, the the entire Bible. You know, when when it's harvest time and God turns up with a combine harvester, it's not the first time. You know, it's it's like look there it is on the horizon. Uh, you're, everyone's going to be sort of you know cut down in some sense. Um, in this case, everyone's uh, everyone's affected in some way. But um, are you going to be the wheat that's collected and put in the silo, or are you going to be the chaff? Yep. You know. So yeah, it's once you understand how God works, you're not you know you're not in a panic you can you can sort of weather the storm in faith a bit more um not that this is a terrible it's not a world war or anything but right even in that case even in that case you know that there are times when god is is purifying things he's he comes like a fire as, as john baptist says and to to expose what is um, and that happens in our personal lives as well trials come to transform us once you understand that this is a pattern of transformation and you've got some kind of test or trial of faith in your life you can hang on because you know that you know like the like daniel's friends in the fire you're going to come out the other side uh different and also as a testimony to everybody else and the heart of this pattern is a pattern of transformation that's what God's doing. He's he's like, he's like the cook in the kitchen. I've got a book called God's Kitchen. And when you read it, you realize you're the one being put in the oven. You know, it's, yeah. you, it, God says, right, I'm going to chew you. I pick you. You're the meat. I'm going to cut you up. And then I'm going to put you on the altar or on the, on the stove. And then I'm gonna I'm gonna cook you, and then I'm gonna go. Yep, that smells good. As as, as Paul says to some, where yeah. a fragrance of That's a, great a, a, great a great sweet sweet smell, and to others where a stench, you know. And then yep. and then God says, right, you're on the table. But in a, it, obviously, he brings reconciliation. It's a pattern of of sacrifice, but uh, he invites us to his table. So, uh, of course, you know Jesus was the one who was you know cooked in a sense. In that sense, um, he was he's and he makes us acceptable to God. So. Everybody today wants transformation. They want to be better. They do lots of self-help courses or uh, all sorts of, they learn stuff, but it's always about improvement, um, becoming more effective. But that is how God works. And I find that a lot of theological debates today are people taking, you know, pitting, say, the cooking step versus the eating step and saying, oh, look, there's a problem here. I'm like, no, 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 this is a process, And once you understand where things fit in the process, a lot of theological debates disappear. We need to, that's our our understanding has improved and you don't need to say, well, you're talking about the the oven and you're talking about the plate. These things are are different. And it's like, well, yeah, they are It's because um, you need to learn how to cook. (laughs) Hopefully. Anyway, I could, you know, I ramble a bit, but it's just, this is why I'm getting this under under our belt. Yeah. But, It just means when Jesus says in Matthew 24, Matthew 24 and 25 actually work through this pattern. And if you know Leviticus, you realize that he's talking about this, this whole pattern, this whole two chapter sequence is structured according to that offering in Leviticus. And then it starts to make sense. You go right now. I know why he changes subjects, why he's suddenly talking about women with lamps, um, uh, you know, this is a Israel is being offered
0: now
1: on the altar. Yeah. I wanna what's going on.
0: I want to talk a little bit more about some of this stuff a little bit. Uh so for example, we've I've heard I've heard a man named Jonathan Peugeot, I'm sure you're probably familiar with him. Uh listeners may not be that familiar with him, but I've heard him say that the creation pattern is absolutely key to understanding the rest of the Bible. If you don't have that pattern kind of under your belt then you're going to have a hard time understanding the Bible. And I I feel like that you could maybe correct me wrong, but I think that you would probably agree with that. But so we've talked about some of these patterns already, right? We've talked about like these seven step patterns and the creation pattern. Would you, do you care to maybe expound on those patterns a little bit more and maybe where we can find some of those in the Bible and, you know, maybe kind of uh, just get people thinking who have never thought about those before and just kind of expose them to some of those patterns.
1: Yeah, uh, well, a, a wise, a wise Anglican minister said to me years ago. Yeah, he said, when you're, pre- you're when you're preaching, your job is to take people from where they are to yeah. where you are. Yeah. And I thought, oh, because I just tend to barrel in and start, you know, spouting stuff off, and people are just like, this guy's a lunatic. Like, <laughs> this is, mind you, that same wise Anglican guy, he's a he's a minister, local minister here, not at my church. But he, you know, he read the Bible matrix and he just said, Oh no, I just, I think you're reading too much into it. He just, but the problem is that they don't think in types and images. They just, they're not trained to read that way. They don't, they just see the surface thing. But the problem with that is then when they're trying to interpret, you know, why did Jesus walk on the water? I heard one of his sermons and he said, he made up all this stuff about like, just kind of trying to bring in anecdotes and stuff about what, what it's like for us to walk on water and things all this like, you're yeah. just making things up here. Right. You're just trying to apply that to us in images that you've made up when God has given us actual images in the Bible and you you say that that's not how we should do it. So, you know, I, I think that's, that's a recipe for disaster. People are being taught to read the Bible as types and images, but ones that they just make up. And that's, you know, yeah. so we want to read it like that, but we've, we've got to use the, the way the Bible does it. But, I'd say, um, so to take people from where they are, I generally start with uh, the the fact that these patterns are built into our own lives. So uh, the the basic pattern actually has five steps. I don't want to confuse anybody, but the five steps are number one, God's a boss. You have a boss. Number two, he gives you a job, some authority as his employee. Uh, He tells you what he wants you to do. Uh, then he's going to come back and check the results. Obviously, everyone's assessed on their productivity, and 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 then then he gives the fifth step is uh, he gives you the next job to do. Yeah. And so when you see that that's the pattern of Genesis one to five, you know, it's Genesis one is God's authority as a creator. Genesis two, he gives authority to man. Genesis three, this is what I want you to do, and Adam blows it. Yeah. <laughs> Genesis four is when he comes back and, and checks and look, there's, there's an outcome in society. That's, that's uh, um, uh, Cain and Abel and Lamech and it's, 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 there's bloodshed because of that. Yeah. And step, step five is about the future and that's about the genealogy from Adam to Noah. And so it's a prediction of the destruction of the world. Yeah. So you've got this five-step pattern. Then that pattern is seen again in the books of Moses. So you've got Genesis, God's authority. Exodus delegation of that authority to to Moses and to Israel Leviticus here's what I want you to do and it's all this ethical stuff it's a book all about sex and death basically right uh, you know the origin like where life comes from and, yeah. and all about death but in in these pictorial ways um, and food laws Adam was given a food law once you realize that there's a that there's a correspondence between the food law in Genesis 2 and the food law in in, uh, in Leviticus um and then you've got uh Numbers, which is the judgment of Israel, and the bloodshed and the old Israel is cut off. Um, and then you've got step five, which is Deuteronomy, which is preparation for, you know, it's all about the future. So this this pattern uh is is basic. It's a pattern of taking God's authority, giving it to man, qualifying the man, then there's blessings or curses, and then there's man's given a bigger job to do, or the job is lost. Adam, we never hear from Adam again. Adam is, he never, we, not another word from him is ever recorded because he was disqualified. So he was still around, but the job was given to his kids. That's what happens to Israel. The old Israel was disqualified and then God gives it to the children and says, okay, your dad's blew it. You're yeah. it now. You're, you, we're, you know, you're going to go into the land and inherit. So um, that is the basic pattern of every workday. Now this pattern becomes sevenfold. I'm going to put my hand up here. All right, the central the central ethics. This is the test. This is like what I want you to do. This is Adam versus the serpent. Um, this becomes threefold when you have priest, king, and prophet. Priest is when you listen to your boss. Yep. Okay. As as submitting to him, you listen. The king is when you then act on what he's given you to do, and then the prophet is when you you are qualified by that authority and you get to speak for your boss. Okay. So we've all had maybe, well, maybe not all this, but many of us have had managers who were not really qualified and weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. And yet they wanted to push us around and tell us what to do. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's a false prophet. <laughs> I mean, you're still going to, you know what I mean? If they've got authority, you're still going to obey them. But anyway, so there's this pattern of priest, King prophet. We see that in Israel's history where you had Israel prepared, in the wilderness and they had to listen to the law then you have the era of the kings yep. where god god didn't judge the kings straight away like he did israel in the wilderness he said well you're going to learn the hard way now you're going to see the consequences of your actions i'm not going to i'm not going to i'm not going to zap you you know give you a spanking like a child anymore right. i'm going to, you're an, you're an adult now you're going to see the consequences of what you've done and then you have the era of the prophets you come and say okay because you're now even more adult you've grown up you are more uh responsible for your actions and now I'm unless you repent I'm going to bring the gentile gentiles against you as a judgment as I did as I promised under the law and you see that in the book of judges in a smaller sense where Israel keeps saying and god keeps bringing enemies so there's this prophetic era so And then in history, we have Israel as the priestly era, Jesus brings the kingdom, and now the church is a prophetic body preaching the gospel through the world. In a human life, priesthood is a period of childhood where you tell your kids what to do and when, and that's the law where Israel had you know, micromanaging instructions. You know, hey, well, you're a newbie here. We need to tell you, we need to show you the ropes. This is how everything goes. And then as you understand that, you have a bit more, Um, play you know when jesus said to the pharisees that the sabbath was made for man not man for the sabbath they were still thinking like children saying this is when we have to brush our teeth this is when we have to go to bed you know this is when we have to do this this is how we, we have to do that and then they made up their own rules as well and jesus said those things are important but they are to bring wisdom so that you know that like with adam when you're confronted with a situation that." Is a new one, like the coronavirus or whatever it might be. Right. How am I going to use those principles in this new situation? I'm going to have to develop some kingly wisdom, and then I'm going to have to speak to my people as a prophet who has digested the law, has uh, like like David and and Solomon and David who had then were then responding with um, meditations on the law, yeah, and coming out with new stuff. I mean, even Moses did that with the 10 commandments. He actually updated them a bit based on a new situation. Yeah. If you, they're not the same as they were in Exodus. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like okay, we've we've grown up a bit now and so once you, you know, when you leave home, you leave behind the rules of childhood. Yeah. And that's what Paul talks about when he says that the um the uh, the elemental things. Yeah. People say oh those are those are idolatry and whatever and it's like well, no no they're the, they're the rules of childhood. And we leave behind the law. Adam was to leave the, the the law in Eden would have become obsolete. The law, just as the food laws, when God says to Peter, "Hey, rise, kill and eat. Look at all these animals that were previously unclean. Now you can eat them." Peter's like, "No, no, 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 <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. We, we we're not allowed to. We're not allowed to have have those things. We're not allowed to, you know, go to Dad's liquor cabinet and 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 drink what's in there." God <laughs> says, "No, you." you you're grown up now. I expect you to have your own liquor cabinet and to, and to, and to, be, and to be the master. Now that you have self-government, yeah. I can trust you. I can trust you with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I can trust you with wine yeah. because you're going to master the wine. The wine is not going to master you. Wine is an image of power. Power goes to our heads. But the problem with our, with our culture now is we have these people who are supposed to be leaders who have not digested God's law. They don't understand the basic principles. They are not self-governing. They don't govern themselves. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you won't be a good ruler, but it means that you're not going to have the wisdom required um, or the, uh, what's the word, the gravity required. So, you know, even if President Trump says something that's actually wise and helpful, people will say, well, look at your personal life. You know, you, you have not shown self-government, so you don't have the cred required Tell us what to do, which even we've a what he's it. saying he's actually I, I think he's actually quite a wise man because he's a pragmatist I don't agree, you know I, there's some things about him that drive me absolutely crazy but um he's nice to watch from a distance being in Australia but um, at the same time if you have the the a moral life that backs it up then people you have the cred and so <coughs> excuse me it's a bit like Jesus going into the wilderness he defeats Satan by governing himself. Yeah, Satan offered him all the kingdoms of the world and Jesus and it was the same offer made to Adam, I can give you kingdom without priesthood. I can give you dominion of the earth without submission to heaven. And, and Jesus says, no, I need to go and die first as the priest, yeah. and then God will give me the kingdoms as a gift. Yeah. And, and then I suspect that Satan went off and offered the kingdoms of the world to the Herods and they said, yes. Great. And we know how that turned out. Right. So, yeah. So the idea is this process of maturity and, and, um, I don't know where we came from where, what your question was now. I can't remember, but we were talking the about patterns. That, yeah. So I think when you see that um, in our lives, thank you for that. Yeah. You're right. lives, We have, we have the, the pattern of the childhood where we're priests and we just, the priests didn't, have, they couldn't question God. They just had to do whatever it said. And the, the tabernacle was a place of silence. You just do what you're told. Yeah. Um, you go through these actions and that's what you have to do. Then you've got, then we have in our lives. We have the time of kingdom where, uh, you know, that's you. You're in the prime of your life now. You know, you've got the most responsibility that you're ever probably going to have. There's a lot on your shoulders. You're still learning, but you've meditated on the law and, and you under, you're learning about God's ways, but you now represent him. You've got a family, you've got a church or, or you've you know, someone who's working a job they've got authority delegated to them and their main role now is action. And that's like the Kings. And then as you get older and you lose, you start to lose your physical faculties, you know, you start to get weaker. You can't be as active as you were before, but that's where the wisdom comes in and you move into the prophetic stage of life. And that's when people come to you for advice because you've been there, you've done that. Yeah. Uh, And uh, that's where, you know, the prophet sort of speaks for God and he's, he's he's not the book of Proverbs anymore with the basic rules. It's more like Ecclesiastes where you go, you know what? Life's more complicated than the book of Proverbs. You need those basic principles, but they don't always work out. Sometimes the rich do win and and the the wicked do win. And sometimes the poor, you know, the poor do get totally, you know, uh, what's the word? Uh, there's a word for it and I can't think of it. Sledged? No, something like that. Anyway, but it's just, you understand the world is more complex, but you can still see that God is working through those things and you've, you've, you've developed wisdom to, when someone comes to you and says, I don't know what to do in this situation with this particular person in my church or family or this, or with, with my denomination or what, what's going to happen. What's, and, and the prophet, the someone who's wiser and they're generally a lot calmer too. Yep. They don't panic so much because they've seen it all before and they say, this is how it's going to work out. Here's the big picture. Don't panic. You know, this is uh, if God is putting you through a rough time, you're going through the ringer right now. Generally, it means he's got something bigger for you to do down the track. No doubt. Don't lose sight of that. No so, doubt. So once you understand this and this pattern of transformation and cooking and harvest and the work day where you go out and you then and work and then you come home with, with more prosperity and more wisdom. Um, and then you rest. And then it's the pattern of the human life as well. So every day that you come home and, and have a meal and go to sleep, that's a picture of, you know, you're going to basically get to the end of your life and die. <laughs> you know, like you're going to go to sleep at the end, and then there'll be a new day with better stuff to do in heaven. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, that's the pattern. And I, as I say, I'm just trying to take people from where they are to 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 where the bible is and to recognize that how god works in the bible is exactly how we work in this world because we're made in in his image all of this stuff is uh is in james jordan's works uh he's got a great book that was published years ago that's uh but just like a photocopy kind of collation but it's now been published as a book called from bread to wine and that's the pattern of you know, bread, bread and wine is childhood and maturity. Bread is what you need to live. And and wine is, is glory. Wine takes wisdom to make and wisdom to drink. Uh, and, you know, this is... Uh, so what I've done is kind of systematized and made diagrams of how he describes the world and then applied it in a really much more sort of OCD. <laughs> you know, one of the, the
0: patterns that really stood out for me that I first got a hold of that you talk about in bible matrix was uh the creation pattern and so you've got you know this you've got the authority of god right god speaks in genesis right and creation happens and then after that he you know he divides waters from waters and 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 after that he creates seed bearing plants and you know all of those things that you see there in the first chapter of genesis and so I never really thought of it. I guess I don't know how else to say it other than before I read your work and then got into say James Jordan, I didn't think of that in terms of a pattern. Like I just thought yeah. about it in terms of proposition, right? Like, yes, oh, okay, yeah. this this is what God did, right? Like He He did this on this day, He did this on that day. Mm-hmm. But after I saw that, no, this is more than just proposition. It's it's a pattern, man. I started mm-hmm. like seeing it in like different places and like John John one like right the the, the yeah. we're all familiar with like in the beginning was the logos, the word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then you know after that, I mean you've got John the Baptist baptizing Jesus, parting the waters, and yeah. you know you've you just you know later on to I mean you just see all these these correspondence, and for me, that just it just blew my mind. Like I, I immediately realized, wow, the Bible is so much more, well, I guess just for lack of better words, it, it's put together. You know, this, these things are very intentional. Uh, this isn't random, right? Like this is very, uh, very intentional. This is, it's not just the, the right, like it's art. It's like divine art. and yeah, it, yeah. it. But it's also,
1: it's also um, uh, engineered, you know, as a uh, guy who, Someone you know, one of those Facebook interactions that we have sometimes. Um, <laughs> you know, he just said, "Oh, look, the, the Old Testament—it's a bit of a jumble." And like he—he—he he, he loves the Bible and and uh, he's a believer, but he just said, "Look, you know, not all of it's to be taken seriously. Some of it's sort of obsolete, whatever." I said, "Right." Look, there, he, uh, and he said, "We, we need to—it's uh, a pity that we have the Bible so so available to us, thanks to the Reformation, because." People yeah. can read it and see the problems with it, and I just said, the Bible is bulletproof. You know, yeah. like if if there's anything that that seems strange to you, it's not the fault of the Bible. It's yeah. it's our lack of understanding of it, and if uh, the right attitude is to say, I need to figure this out. Uh, there's something happening here that I don't understand, yeah. and I need to work out what is actually going on. It's like when you're reading even the the, the epistles of Paul, and you get to something where you just think hang on a minute you just totally went off the rails there yeah and yet for paul this was just the next thing just like yeah. oh yeah look this should be just as comprehensible as anything else that i've said here yeah and yet something that people go oh no this is a tricky verse and i'm thinking well it wasn't tricky to paul really right. the, just, readers, just the, the, the readers the readers
0: knew what it was you know what they were familiar it was it. just
1: yeah yeah it's just it's just the next logical step uh so but also i think Part of the reason God works this way, and also the reason the Bible's written this way, is because it was written to be heard, yeah. and people they weren't sitting reading silently; they were hearing it. And as um, David Dorsey says in his book, that we have subheadings and things in in our books, uh, chapters and subheadings, and et cetera. And in the Bible, we've got verse numbers, but there are the markers in in biblical text. Our markers that are heard.
0: Yeah. You
1: know, we put in our Bible translations, we put subheadings, but they had to have something in the text that that would be heard. And that's what these markers are. As they work through these patterns, you're supposed to go, okay, there's a symbol of sun, moon, and stars. We must be at the center of the pattern here day four as the middle of the seven. There's some reference to that. There's some reference to testing or fire or whatever. Um, and as it's working through these, these structures, um, you know, that the, we, it's like watching a movie. We know when we're up to the next step because of what's happening. So, uh, yeah, I think I used to struggle. I I always thought, well, what, why, especially with the evolution debate, why is Genesis one so strange? And then when you realize that our pattern of worship follows the same pattern, the, the building of the temple followed the same pattern. It's a process of, construction that was it could have all just been done in an instant but the, the reason that god did it as a process was to say look this is this is how i work this is a pattern of i'm spelling it out slowly i don't know if anyone uses duolingo you know yeah, I'm, I'm, I, doing, I, french, yeah. I'm, I'm doing french at the moment and i'm enjoying it but you know if there's ever you hear a phrase and you've got to type it out in in french or whatever and then there's a button you can press that says, that they'll say, they'll repeat the phrase slowly, <laughs> you know. And Genesis 1 is just like this, it's, 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 I believe they're literal days because, you know, they all have evenings and mornings, but the reason God did it over seven days was to teach us, to say this is how I work, this is the process of transformation, and I believe that that pattern is actually a, an extrapolation of what goes on in the Godhead between the father and the son by the spirit. So this physical process is a picture of their relationship. And then of course, then you see that relationship in the life of Jesus. Uh, So, you know, that just, that compounds that as well. So I think once we know the tune, if you learn the tune, then you can even understand the book of revelation. My two favorite um, examples at the moment are, which is ones that I should have thought of a long time ago, but anyway, God, God does these things to humble us. Um, was uh, John three sixteen? For God so loved the world, Genesis, that He gave His only Son. Passover, Exodus, that whoever believes in Him, Leviticus. That's where you just had to do all these things by faith. Right. Um, will not perish. Numbers. Is old Israel cut off? Right. Yeah. But have eternal life. In Deuteronomy. You. This is what you need to do in the new world, in the new land that I promised you. So there you have the books of Moses in John 3 16. One, two, three, four, five. And they help us to interpret them. And my next favorite one is one I alluded to earlier, was um uh, the book of Revelation, where you have Genesis, you have a vision of this is a sevenfold pattern. Genesis, vision of Jesus as Adam in the garden. The lamps were shaped like almond trees. Right. Uh, and he's tending the garden, he's going around pruning the trees. Yeah. Okay uh exodus is this letters to the seven churches who are now burning bushes okay and he's right. he's he's still kind of on like moses on the mountain and he's speaking to them yeah and there it's there by their light that uh the city is going to be judged and you see that in, the, in daniel 5 yeah um leviticus is jesus is the first fruits lamb it's not the passover lamb here it's the first fruits lamb yeah um Numbers is spiritual warfare, and that's when you have the woman and the dragon and all the the the, the, yeah. the cosmic you know,
0: all language and all that.
1: Yeah, and that's and that, you know people don't know what's going on, but it's basically the the true Jews and the false Jews in the first century, which is the church, yeah. who are the true Jews, and that included Gentiles. And then you've got the false Jews, who are the ones who were yeah. had rejected the Spirit, were blaspheming God, yep. were opposing the apostles. And yeah. killing Christians,
0: and yeah, that's which, which Paul and, is talking about a lot in Romans, you know, <coughs> nine, nine through eleven. Like he he yes. talks about like yeah. those people need to come to Christ. <laughs> like, yes, you know? yeah, and he
1: and he insults them with all sorts of Old Testament references, you yes, know. And yeah. that's the same in in uh, Jude, you know. He makes all of these references, you know. He says uh, he mentions Enoch. People don't know why he mentions Enoch, and the reason right. is because he's calling these guys Lamech. Yep, you know, like those two were both the seventh from Adam, and he's like, you, you these guys are. Um, the guys who are promoting vengeance instead of atonement.
0: And if I'm not not mistaken, he uses symbolic language Jude does. Like uh, he talks about the sea and foam and Israel, like uh, kicking up dirt in the ocean and kind of stuff. So it's kind of like he uses, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, because you're you're way more savvy on symbolism than I am. But I, I remember him kind of like applying like language that would have been used of Gentiles and kind of like maybe using it as an insult to the Jews. Like yes. you guys are like this. You know what I mean? Yep. And so yeah, actually
1: that's 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 actually a good point. Um I don't think I could put I've got a, a commentary on John's Epistles and Jude, and you know, now I'm gonna have to go and change it. Thanks for that. Um, <laughs> but I did I did pick up the fact that in uh in Revelation the the lamps um uh they're gentile pastors. And the lamps are like a decentralized menorah, you know, the Jewish menorah, which right. was like a, one tree. But instead of one tree, you have seven separate lamps. And that's the idea that God has taken the centralized worship of Israel in the temple. And he'd already prefigured that in all of the synagogues that they were building. But the idea now was that worship was going to be decentralized because the true temple was in heaven. So for a Jew to read Revelation and see that the menorah here was made of gentile pastors would be horrific what an insult you know right. and that's like i said before when god blessed blessed the women of jericho and cursed the women of israel um, with the bears uh it's the same reversal it's like god's no respecter of persons if the gentiles believe then that will provoke the jews to jealousy and that's what those seven lamps are supposed to do they're like hang on a minute that's a jewish symbol you know it's like well as christians the lampstand. The Jewish menorah belongs to us. It right. does not belong to them because they do not have the spirit of God. If they did, they would be following Christ. Right. Okay. Now that probably sounds anti-Semitic, but it's no more anti-Semitic than Paul. who was a Jew or Jesus. Right. who was a Jew, right. but um, this, this idea of reversal and of implicit nasty jokes, <laughs> like in Jude, I mean, when you read Jude, you just you come away just like, Oh, oh well, okay. Yeah. But,
0: yeah, that's how it was for me. Yeah, but also
1: too—that's once again—that's creation language. Yeah. So uh, it's built into it's built into everything. But um, so, look, it also means the Bible's a lot of fun. You know? Yeah. Yes. And yeah. what I'm noticing as well is um, this this particular this pattern, the creation pattern, the covenant pattern, is a symmetrical pattern. It works to a middle, and then it works out again. And I'm noticing that in a lot more uh TV shows and movies and things where they're becoming actually more aware of this concept of symmetry yeah. and structure and symbolism. And it's—I mean, I mentioned Breaking Bad earlier. Some people might, you know, not think that's a good show to watch. But, um It's pretty full on as a as a moral, right? Sort of this guy keeps me like King Saul. He keeps making the wrong decision, but each time he takes the easy way. You know, he yeah. just keeps keeps blowing it, but there's a lot of symbolism in it. I noticed there's one scene where the guy there and he's in his family home and he's gotten to drugs and his parents don't know how to deal with him. And uh, from memory, there's, there's like a, there's a a sculptured plaque thing on the wall behind him and it's the tree of life. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's this whole idea that these, what we're trying to get across here is being reinforced with this visual symbolism. And it's not something that's separate from the, the obvious message. It reinforces it and helps to illustrate it. You know, you and, kind of see that
0: pattern too in like Star Wars, right? Like, like Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Like, you know, he 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 goes oh, on look a, goes on a journey.
1: I've I've got that in my latest book where you know uh, Genesis. You've got the serpent, Darth Vader, and Eve, the princess. That's yep. Genesis. You yep. know, and, Exodus. Exodus is is Luke, who is the son. of... Who is passed over when the rest of the family is killed? He just happens to be. He's covered when he's out seeing Ben. Leviticus yep. is in the ascension, so they, you know, they go up in the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> Numbers is 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 uh, battling Darth Vader on the Death Star. By the way, that's right. day four. The star, right. um, yeah, that's yeah, and then. And then uh, the next, the five is the hosts, and that's when the two kind of armies get ready to fight. You know, you've got the rebels and the, yep. the other guys. And then uh, Joshua is when they blow up the Death Star and then Judges, which is day seven, um, and rest and rule, and that's the big party they have at the end. So there's, there was talk about Jesus being a pacifist. And I'm like, no, no, no. Jesus was like Obi-Wan Kenobi. He knew when to put down the saber and be killed. And he also knew when to blow up the Death Star and everybody in it. So if you're going to criticize God for wiping out the Canaanites or driving them out, there's a time to die. And there's a time to kill. Okay. God calls us to be wise judges. Sometimes it is good to bear the sword justly and with mercy. But, you know, it's God only destroys when people have been given lots of chances, same with the destruction of Jerusalem, which is what, you know, Jesus was weeping over the city. He knew what was coming because he knew they were not going to repent. And, um, you know, that when it talks about blaspheming, the spirit being unforgivable, it's not unforgivable because it's the worst sin. It's unforgivable because it's the last sin. Yeah. It's, I have heard your warnings from your prophets and I'm not going to repent. And God has no other choice but to say, okay, your time is up. So, um, yeah that star wars movie is the probably the most accessible example of this sevenfold pattern yeah you yeah. know it's uh yeah spot on
0: i'm not yeah. sure if you set out to do this but i suspect that for an entire generation of christians who's going to pick up your work like i have you have just for lack of better words re-mythologized the bible and and really what i mean by re um, I don't mean like you've made it a myth that's like not true or anything like that. Yeah. That's, that's not. Yeah. But I
1: still, I, I I know that you wouldn't mean that, but I still don't know what you mean.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, so basically what I mean by by that is this is, so in the earliest 20th, the early 20th century, there was a, a scholar named Rudolf Boltman and he introduced the concept called demythologizing the text. And really what he meant by that was that the writers of scripture used only terms and and concepts that they had available to them at the time, whenever it came to communicating their experience with the supernatural. And as modern readers, what we have to do is we need to go in and we need to remove the mythical and the miraculous components in order to appeal to modern man. And so you you actually still Mm -hmm. see this hermeneutic at work today uh, yeah. in yeah. mainline yeah. protestantism like like alongside of the historical critical method and so they'll mm. say things like well Jesus didn't actually miraculously multiply the lo- the loaves of bread right that's m- mythical but he did feed people and so we should do that too or or they'll say things like the bible's a hack job right and it's just thrown together it's it's like other mm. ancient near eastern sources and what we really need to do is Is stop looking for coherence, but just look for the morals of the story and begin living those out. And so it seems to me, Mike, that what you're saying is you're saying, no, it wasn't that the writers of scripture only had these terms and concepts available to them, but rather (laughs) under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, they very intentionally chose to communicate those stories in this way they structured them to be one story told over and over and over again with variations and Mm. it's incredibly coherent right they structured them with these design patterns and it gives it great beauty and it gives it great meaning so whenever I say myth or mythologize I'm using it kind of in the way that C.S. Lewis would have used it so
1: whenever, oh look uh, and I agree with that, that usage. Um, My, my, and look, we're still struggling with that mentality today. Even the church I'm at now, you know, some of the things that I mention at Bible study and they're like, huh? Yeah. Hang on. You know, like I, I, even something like, well, Jesus was in a manger. He was food already. You know, (laughs) he was going to be bread and wine later on. Here he is in a manger and that's a sign that he's, he's, he's like the, the firstborn on the altar. And they look at me like, that's not what it says in the text. He was, in a, he was just a baby in a manger because there was nothing else. It's just speaking about him being humble. And I'm like, that's not how the Bible's written. Every yes. detail means something. Yes. And the problem is you've got some people who try to make every detail, then mean something that they think. Right. But you, it, it's not, that's not how it works. Every, as in a good TV show, every detail is a reference to something that's previously happened. Yep. You know, the houses of Israel... The, 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 where the manger was was downstairs that's where the animals were downstairs in the house and when it says there's no room at the inn it just means the upper room yep. literally so, so every house in israel was basically structured like the tabernacle so where jesus was was actually the altar down the bottom outside in the court uh with the animals yeah so the house of an israelite was basically a model of you know the same pattern as the house of god the tabernacle and so Jesus was actually on the altar um, and it's because God speaks to us in architecture. So when, you know, to re is also to say, look, what you've done is actually um, you've, you've kind of taken this feast yeah. and you've boiled it up and then strained all of the good stuff out. And now we've got this weak, thin gruel or broth left right. yep. because that appeals to the modern intellectual. Right. You, think you, you think you've distilled this down to its essence yeah, But what you've done is you no, you no longer have the bandwidth in your mind to yeah. be able to see what's happening in the Bible. I like to say it's like someone who's, um, you know, they're watching a film that's maybe a, it's a 3D movie and it's in full colour and it's a musical. And they're watching a black and white version on an old TV. So it's not 3D, it's black and white and the sound's turned off and they're trying to make sense of it. That's that's exactly right. That's a that's a no, great, So it's great, when it, mythologizing means really just let's let's realize that God speaks to us in architecture, in patterns, yes. in images as well. And that's the funny thing is that's why that's partly why the church has failed to grasp our culture today. We've yep. lost the culture because the culture is watching movies and TV and things that speak to us in these ways yep. and popular music and you know, when we try to respond to that, we just copy what they're doing in very bad, you know, amateurish ways. Yep. So, and then we teach the Bible and we strip all of this stuff away from it to try and get to the main point, but we've, we actually lose the point.
0: Yes, that is, that is 100% right. It, it's like, it's like the passage that we, you were talking about earlier with Jesus walking on the water, you know, you, you, you strip it of all of the miraculous and you're trying to appeal to the modern man by doing it right. And you're going to use it like the pastor you mentioned, like, Oh, well, you can walk on water and you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Too. Well,
1: the, the, uh, was it, you know, Jesus said, you know, that by faith you can, you can cast this mountain into the sea. Right. And um even, even some, you know, some, some Baptist pastors that I love and they say, look, yep. the problems in your life, that's what he's talking about. If you've got a mountain in your life, And it's like, well, no, no. And it's once again, this is a James Jordan thing. He says, well, Jesus says this mountain, which mountain is he talking about? He's talking about Mount Zion with, with the temple built on it. And then he said, he talks about um, the parable of the the wise man who builds his house on a rock and the foolish man who builds his house on the sand. He's talking about the Herods who were still building the temple. And they thought they were wise like Solomon but they were actually building on the sand, which is the domain between the land and the sea. In other words, compromising between Judaism and the kingly Gentiles, you know, like trying to get Gentile state power without getting, getting authority from God. And the storm was coming to wash them away. What was that? That was the flood that Daniel says the end will come like a flood, basically Roman troops flooding in like the Babylonians Babylonians had done. Um, So, You can still say that I need to, by faith, throw this mountain down. Sure. And then you've got in Revelation 8 where it says, I saw a flaming mountain cast into the sea. What is it? It's Mount Zion, which was going to be turned back into Mount Sinai because they had not obeyed the law. And God was going to come back with flame and trumpets and it was going to terrify them. And the whole of Judaism was going to be chucked back into the nations to become just like one of them. They weren't going to be special anymore the vow was finished Their their special office for that time was done with. And that's what that mountain is being cast into the sea. Just as God raised the land out of the sea to mediate between heaven and earth and the land of Israel out of the sea of the nations, he was now going to push it back under the water. And so, you know, to just say, Oh, this is all about mountains in your life. I'm like, really? Like, like that's, that's not what he's saying at all. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so, This is exactly, yeah, exactly what I'm talking about. So you, what you've, I think what you've done with your work and what I really appreciate about your work is that you have made the Bible for a generation of people like me who, you know, have come out of, uh, you know, what we have, you've made it meaningful again. You know what I mean? You've, You've given us back symbolism. You've, you've given us back, all of these things that we were told to ignore and, and, you know, that kind of thing. And so that's what I mean by re-mythologizing. And so, yeah, I think that that's a, a fantastic thing. And I really yeah. appreciate your well,
1: work. So Yeah. Well, I just, I, I guess I just wanted to sort of, um, summarize Jordan's work. And once again, uh, he's drawing on so many different sources. Like he's one of these, I'm not well read. I'm really not. I mean, I, I know my way around, yeah. but with with Jordan, he basically could draw on all of these, these things and, and, and think them through with his like uh theological, theological and musical background yeah. and put them together. And I just wanted to sort of uh, condense that down into, uh, I guess, a more simplified way. Yeah. People say I'm more complicated, but uh, for me, if you can learn a basic formula and then that unlocks everything, which is yep. what this does. Yeah. Um, and, and diagram it. That's how I think. Um, so, you know, these patterns are all in, in Jordan's work. There's a few things where I've applied them a bit more, but um, yeah, I, I think too, it gives us wisdom to know how to work in the world, how to say, well, okay, God still works like this. Yeah. Uh, we're not, we, you know, it's not like what is God doing at the moment? We we can say, ah, oh, Okay this is happening right now. We know where this is in the pattern. We know what's coming next, you know, to some, in some way, we know what, you know, what's going on. See, what
0: you were talking about right now is exactly what I want to accomplish with this podcast. And so, you know, basically here's, here's what my entire goal is. And here's how, what you're saying kind of fits into it. Um, We live in what's been called a secular age, right? And, and what, basically what that means is, the sacred has been stripped out of the world. Uh, the supernatural has been stripped out of it. We're, we've been taught to to look at things from a secular perspective, and so even for like for me personally as a Christian, it's taken me years to come out of this lifetime of secularity and relook at the world in a way that is distinctly Christian, like the world and, and not just that, my, my life and even my faith. And so like yeah. what you're saying here is you're saying, oh, we our our faith is, uh, it has these things like it, it it has the things to push back against secularity. It it has great meaning. You don't have to go and create your own meaning. It's there in the Bible. And whenever you get a handle on this thing, then you can even take it and apply it to your life, right? You can, you can take these patterns, these symbols, and you can say, Hey, like this applies to my life today. I can see that I'm here. Right. And so that that is, is, I think that's huge. So.
1: Yeah, um, and, and I think uh, one of the main things too is to realize that it's, it's a process not only of testing and, and qualification, but it's a process of um, God empowering us. You know, Adam was supposed to be empowered by that pattern of qualification, Israel was empowered by the pattern of testing and refinement in the wilderness. So when something terrible happens in your life, you know, whether it's uh, you could be chronically ill or you could lose lose a child or lose a job or really anything. A Christian, I mean, a lot of Christians have this anyway because, you know, we, that's how we function. But yeah. when we're tempted to doubt, it's easier if we know, hang on a second, this is how God actually works. Or as a culture, when we see that the word of God is being challenged to the degree that it is now,
0: yeah.
1: we know that God is allowing that I've learned that God loves to throw curved balls, you know, like for instance, recently we had this whole debate about same sex marriage and, you know, it's been legalized in a lot of countries, but what that did was it forced us to think about, hang on a second, what is marriage and why? Yeah. And, you know, God uses that to strengthen the saints. He also uses it to separate the sheep from the goats when yeah. the lie comes in. And you've got a lot of people who would just compromise, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, hey, they went out from us because they were not of us. You know yeah. That's exactly what happened in the first century with the false doctrine from the the um the the Herodian Jews who wanted to stick with the temple, and they were infecting the church and leading some astray. And the whole thing is that God allows these things. And so sometimes, and it's as you know as I said, sometimes he shakes everything. Yeah. you know we can say oh look 200 years ago no one doubted the bible but then we've had this onslaught of modernity and scientism and yeah. whatever that's starting to fall apart look at the creation science movement now and how much wisdom and actual empirical science has been developed simply because they stuck with the word of god and had to deal with this lie yeah you know i mean it's just uh and look i'm not saying they're they're always correct but right. it's like okay, let's look at the evidence through a different lens, through the lens of the scripture and see what we come up with. Yep. And uh, then now you have in, uh, the intelligent design movement yep. and and all of these things that would not have come out of just the status quo. So, you know, sometimes God comes in with a combine harvest, <laughs> you know, cuts it, we're just like, what are you doing? And he's like, it's okay, this is part of the process. And... It's when you uh, even world wars, why would God allow these things to happen? And then, you know, it's it's like uh as um David Belinsky said, who's an agnostic Jew, and he said, if there is a God and we look at the world wars, especially World War II, and think why would God allow this? If he if if we either have to say there is no God or we have to say what he's got in mind for us down the track is worth this. Yeah. It's it's like even this will pale in comparison to what he has got planned for us. It's
0: preparing for us an eternal
1: weight of glory,
0: as Paul yeah, talks well, about. Well, yeah,
1: it. that's right. Which then you realize that, you know, God is going to send us things that we can't handle. <laughs> yep, no <doubt>. no <laughs> because doubt. we then we have to think, and you know, go, hang on. Like, once again, God allowed false doctrine into the Garden of Eden. He yep. allows false doctrine into the church. Why? Yep. To qualify us, to make us wise. To We have to outsmart the serpent. And there's, you know... Um, sometimes even convert the serpent, you know, yep. uh, Joseph converted Pharaoh, Daniel converted Nebuchadnezzar. Well, I mean, God had a big hand in both of those, Sure. but um, you know, it's, it's, we shouldn't be surprised when these things happen. Um, and by faith, yeah, we, we realize that uh, this is to make us more like God.
0: That's fantastic. That's, that's great stuff, Mike. So this will be our last question for the evening. And so, Over the years, I've noticed that there seem to be differing schools of what's been called biblical theology, right? And, you know, you're into that, I'm into that, talking whole Bible theology, um, seeing how it's all one unified story and and that kind of thing. And so I've noticed that there's guys like, say, D.A. Carson, G.K. Bill, and one of your uh, fellow Aussies, uh, Graham Goldsworthy, um, not sure how much of his stuff that you've, you've, you're familiar with, but they could kind of be considered one school of biblical theology. And, and then after that, you've got guys like Mike Heiser, N.T. Wright, The Bible Project. They're kind of approaching things from, uh, a, a, you know, ancient Near Eastern type of perspective and showing how it fits together that way. Then you've got guys like James B. Jordan, uh, Peter Lightheart, uh, Alistair Roberts, um, you may even be able to say that guys like Jonathan and Michael Peugeot and Jordan Peterson even kind of have a school of biblical theology so where do you think the bible matrix fits into this conversation and also what do you think it is that makes it different from what other people are doing
1: i tend to use that old analogy of the the the, the monks the blind monks who have discovered an elephant and they're all they're all sort of trying to figure out what it is and one's wow. got a leg and one's got the trunk and one's got an ear and one's got one sitting on the back and whatever and they're all describing a part of it yeah. and they 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 they're in conflict with each other because they've all got a different take on it but i'm the guy standing there with my eyes open looking at the elephant and going guys this is what it is yeah you know like you've got that bit there and because of that you're not seeing this other part over here and whatever, if you've got the key, if you've got this basic formula, like a, um, you know, uh, a fractal is like, like a tree is a fractal. There's the same pattern in the leaf as there is in the tweaks, as there is in the branches, as there is in the whole tree. Like I said, it's like broccoli. Yep. If you can see that pattern and you can see how the whole thing works, I would say that all of those guys that you listed there are seeing, they all have something to offer and we can, and, you know, they're not to be, disregarded or or whatever Uh, but i think if you have this particular lens and it's a lens that is not being used to uh judge the text or shape the text it's a lens that's built into the text it's a pattern that's someone said you're you're imposing this on the text i'm like no 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 this is the pattern the text is written in this is the pattern that governed its composition you know, it's like the, the lines the, of this, the musical staves. This yeah. is, it's, it's how the Bible is written and why it's written the way it is. When you look at the book of Malachi and you go, I heard a, a sermon from a guy who was trying to make it, a Malachi apply to us. And then I, I thought, no, he's really struggling here. You know, I skipped over the context. But then you realize Malachi actually works through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. And he uses symbols from each of those books in each of those sections. Then you just go, there it is, there's the elephant. Like, like, you know, whatever. It's just like that's 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 how this is working. This is what's actually happening here. And these guys, it's kind of like um they're not getting the joke. Yeah. You know, they're sort of like, oh, like N. T. Wright, he talks about um, he's got some great stuff about the New Testament in the first century context, and yep. yet he doesn't realize that the, the judgment that's, that they're all talking about there is the destruction of Jerusalem. He thinks that it's a, you know, it's all about Rome and the worship of the emperor as the son of God and, and right. all of this, this kind of stuff. He's like, no, no, no. The context is Israel judgment begins at the house of God. You're, right. you're offering a lot of really good stuff, sure. fantastic stuff, but you're missing the whole point of the new Testament as a lawsuit against Israel, first and foremost, to yeah. get Israel, old Testament, Israel, finished up with its job to do with its sacrifices, etc., and taken out of the way because they were in the way the Herods were in the way. That's um, just quickly, you know, the verse where it talks about the restrainer in Thessalonians one Thessalonians, I think it is. Yeah. And, and he will restrain until he's um, revealed. Yeah. And you know, this, this, this guy, the antichrist. And I'm like that word restrain is also used in Romans one of those who, who suppress, suppress the knowledge of the truth. God. So I'm thinking that the restrainer here is also the one who's going to be revealed in the sense that he is suppressing the word of God. He's not going to be revealed. He's going to be exposed. It's the same word. And yeah. because of our failure to realize that that's what the like, revelation means, exposure as well. Like I'm, right. going, to uncover, yep. I'm going to uncover you. Yep. Apocalypse you know, um, right. That's
0: what it means. Yeah, yeah. So
1: like the word atonement is, is means to cover, to cover sin. So it's a joke. They, they made Jesus naked and uncovered him on the cross. Yeah. And then in Revelation, he says, I'm going to come and uncover you now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so um, it's, it's this idea that the, the New Testament was all about getting rid of this restrainer, this one who was suppressing the gospel. And it was the Pharisees and the Herods. They were the persecutors of the church until they got Rome involved when all of their other strategies failed. And that's what the last part of Revelation is about, where it was Jews and Gentiles against the church. Um, So N.T. Wright misses that point. He doesn't understand that this is not just a polemic against empire because the Bible isn't against empire per se. Jesus' kingdom is an empire. He's the fifth empire in Daniel. So, you know, that's what I'm saying. These guys all miss something they have something to offer because they're, you know, it's like, well, I've got the leg. I don't know. Jordan Peterson might have the tail. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I really, I really love that guy. And it's funny because I reckon if I, if I had an hour to sit down with him and explain the Bible matrix, he'd be like, Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. oh
0: well, that's, yeah. that's,
1: that's, that's quite extraordinary. <laughs> yeah. Well, bl- bl-
0: <laughs> Bloody hell. Yeah. Man, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> you know?
1: Yes, I can't. I can't yeah. do a
0: Jordan Peterson voice, but I can use the same same vocabulary that he does.
1: Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Look, you know, he the thing is, he's got the kind of he's. I love him because he's open-minded. Yeah, you know, and uh if you explain something to him, and he says, and he gets in trouble sometimes because he's a free thinker, and he's like, well, yeah. maybe we should think about this, and people go, oh, you can't yeah. go there, and he's like, well, why not? You know. Mm-hmm. So um yeah, look, I, I suspect, I suspect that he's he like me. He's probably just on the partly on the on the spectrum
0: <laughs> <laughs> the thing the thing that I, I love about jordan peterson that um that I, I've, I've been reading a lot of him here recently watching some of his stuff and it's so it, he kind of p- pushed me back to c.s lewis some so but he talks about that like he, he's talking about myth and and archetypes and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and so and whenever he talks about myth he doesn't mean it Like, like I said earlier, he doesn't mean it in like, we need stories that are untrue, that are like fairy tales. That's not what he means by that. What he means is, uh, is the, is kind of in the the Lewis way. Like we need stories, we need myths that give meaning to life. We need, like he wrote a book called Maps of Meaning. Um, So, so he means we need stories that govern our lives, that give us meaning, that tell us where we come from, where we're going. And so for me, I'm like, dang man, this is like exactly like what C.S. Lewis's project was with Chronicles of Narnia, like he gives us a story, yes. a story. Well, that
1: like, it's a story that it's a story that embodies truth. Yes. You know, to say, well, look these these stories are illustrations of the truth. Yep. And Jesus' parables yep. did that. Where we have to take a stand is to say, well. And this is, if, I don't know if you've got James Jordan's commentary on Judges, but he says all of the, all of the characters in the Bible are archetypes. Yeah. But they are true. Yeah. These stories are yep. history. Yep. And people say, oh, but how can it be history when it's so stylized? And it is stylized. Yeah. The reason is that they were recorded in a way that could be read aloud and in a, in a way that could be sung. I believe the whole Bible's written so uh, that, that it can be sung. You- but I the point is that,
0: stylize. you know what I mean? Like, for, so for example, like, I think we all stylize. Yeah. I don't think that that's a problem. So for oh, example, we do. And,
1: and, yeah, when you, when you, when you're presenting truth, you have to sit down and work out, okay, what's the best way to, to present this in a way that can be understood. And it doesn't mean you're changing the truth. Yeah. Uh, someone said, why does the Bible sometimes record events out of chronological order? Now the gospels do that yeah they you yeah. know they things get shifted around and people say well this doesn't really make it look like it's true and i and i my response now is have you ever watched a movie where they show you things out of chronological order why yeah. are they doing that for greater impact yeah that means we have to read the text a bit be a bit smarter when we're reading the text realize that nothing is done without a reason i mean one of the things is um uh, uh what's his name lot in Sodom, where people say oh it's terrible he sent his daughters out whatever just a few verses later you find out that the daughters weren't even in the house the author didn't tell us that because he wanted us to be horrified yeah. <laughs> you know like hang on a minute <laughs> what's he doing and then later then you know it's it's you realize that they weren't even there he was being a crafty serpent and that's why in, in the new testament it says righteous lot yeah. Because he was righteous. He was righteous as Adam was supposed to be righteous to outsmart the snake. Jacob was righteous in outsmarting Esau and Isaac. One
0: thing that I've noticed and you can speak to this because you you would know more than I would, that I've so I've noticed this in in James Jordan's book Primeval Saints, which is a fantastic book. I've actually yeah. started rereading that here recently. Yeah. Why do you think it is that there are brand, and this was, I'm going to be honest with you. This is the brand of, or the school of the uh, biblical theology that I came from. Um There's a type of biblical theology that pre- pre- presents the old Testament patriarchs in a negative light. So for example, you actually called me on this not too long ago <laughs> on uh, Noah.
1: Uh, well, right. I'm just, I'm just regurgitating Jordan. And it's, look, I don't think it was just a school of, I think, I think it was the, pretty much the consensus. Yeah. And I, 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 maybe Jordan's referring to some obscure, he got it from, and he does have his sources. He doesn't tend to let on, you know, like, yeah. which uh, there's a couple of times when, uh, you know, like he talks about God would have given Adam the tree of the knowledge of good and evil right. if he'd been yeah. faithful. And that's, that That has been mentioned by two or three obscure people over the centuries. Right. um and he he's got it from there but then he expounds on that and he brings it all in so look that's why people say look i am not as i said i'm not very widely read because i don't have a lot of time but i find that if i stick to like jordan and lighthouse and a few others yeah i'm getting i'm getting the best sort of gathering of stuff yeah um and you know it doesn't mean i'm not open to anybody else but but with primeval saints, yeah, he, he reads those stories of the patriarchs in the light of that truth where Adam was is, was supposed to outcraft the serpent. Yeah. And then, you know, and then all the way through, you've got people who are being outsmarted by the devil.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. Then you get to the patriarchs and, you know, he points out, he says, Abraham outsmarted Pharaoh. He, he says, she's my sister, because under the law, under the culture at the time, then Pharaoh would have had to negotiate with Abraham as Sarah's brother. That's the story. And Abraham could have postponed what was going on. So then you've got Jacob outsmarting Esau. Yeah. And, and also, too, you've, you know, in the New Testament, you've got Jesus saying, I'm coming like a thief. What's he coming to do? He's coming to steal back the kingdom from the Herods who were descended from Esau. Yeah. That's the And story. how did he do it? Yeah, he, he outsmarted them.
0: <laughs> the the Jacob and the Abraham stories, right? Like the, yeah. I was always familiar with reading them in a, a negative light. You know what I mean? Like Abraham lied yeah. and then Jacob lied. And then James. Yes, and
1: Noah the drunk. Doesn't right. Get Noah the drunk. That, and he see, wasn't that was, a drunk.
0: Yeah. So that's how I, how I, always interpreted those i like oh you know even though this is this man that god's called and has uh, shown grace to and he's a covenant representative uh yet here he is following falling and he points to the greater christ who would come and do that and then james jordan just comes along and blows that up for
1: me <laughs> that's right Yeah. Yes. yeah sometimes if, if you're gonna if you want to be a mine of information it's good to be a landmine sometimes yeah yeah you know? yeah okay. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, but also, too, what he does is he helps us to say all of this is an extrapolation of Genesis 3, yeah. that that's where this is coming from. Like Genesis begins with a young man put in charge of the food, and it ends with a young man put in charge of the food. At the beginning of the book, there's a serpent. At the end of the book, there's a man wearing a serpent as a crown. But then there's a rainbow and then there's a man wearing a rainbow. What does this yeah. all say? You know? Yeah. So the book itself is symmetrical in that sense. But um, yeah, look, that book is, is foundational. And it also teaches us that as, as Christians, it doesn't mean that we have to be uh, harmless as doves and dumb as doorposts. <laughs> <Yeah>. Right. <laughs> you know, we are supposed to be wise serpents as well. But we're, we're like the midwives in Exodus, you know, where they lied and yeah. God blessed them. Yeah, Because they were lying to protect the innocent. And then that's also, that's where the bit where uh, bearing false witness in the Ten Commandments means lying about someone in a court of law so that they'll be punished when they were innocent, which is yeah. what happens to Jesus. And so when you realize that if you're lying to protect the innocent, that's not a sin. Yeah. Well, it's like, that's I, pretty, pretty fun. Well, I'm thinking that's you know,
0: in the situation of like the Holocaust, right? You're hiding Jews and you're, in your house, yeah. right, and the, the, yeah. you've got the Gestapo coming up to your door, knocking, and like, "Hey, is there any Jews in here? What am I going to yeah. do?" Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell them no. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna It's,
1: a, it's, protect it's them. a holy, it's a holy deception. Yeah. And then when you think that the cross was a holy deception, it's like, you know, the Son of God becomes the most humble, vulnerable person you can imagine, who gives himself up to death as as a sacrificial lamb, and in doing that, he becomes a roaring lion. Like that's a trick <laughs> like, it is. because priesthood is always hidden. Sorry. Kingdom is always hidden in priesthood. That's the Pharaoh's cup is the kingly cup is always hidden in the grain.
0: You know, and uh, that's what we
1: have to realize that our submission always leads to authority because our, all of history is about people grabbing authority, grabbing power. That's what Adam did instead of submitting to God and then receiving the power as a gift. And so that's the whole story of the Bible: priesthood versus kingdom, and getting them in that in that order. But that's where the holy deception comes in too. That in a sense, Adam was supposed to realize that even God is tricksy yeah. in that it, sense.
0: Even Lewis yeah. picks up on that. Lewis even picks up on that in in Narnia. You know, where you have mm. Aslan deceiving you know the White Witch. You know what I mean? Like he yeah. he, he yeah. willingly agrees to to you know sacrifice himself, and then boom, you know he. He comes back, yep. you know, and so you have
1: holy deception. Or yes, or Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know, and yep. he even warns him. He says, just strike me down, and you know what'll happen. More powerful than you know. And he does it, he does it anyway. Yep. That's that's Jesus on the cross. You know, there's one author who just said, uh, God, God as a man, God killable, you know, and he couldn't restrain himself. He just like well, I have I'm I'm gonna do this. And uh, you know, yeah, so there's a, there's a time to how can I put it? Deception with love is a motivation. Yeah. Yeah. That's the key. All right, Mike. Well, I really, we we covered a lot today. We covered a
0: whole (laughs) lot, man. We've been on here for almost two hours um, I'm hoping that, that there are tons of nuggets in here for people who are listening in, like with patterns and, and just all types of Old Testament stories and New Testament stories we've been talking about. I hope people are able to follow along. Mike, lastly, tell people where they can find you and find your work if they have questions, uh, books that they, they should pick up. Uh, go ahead and, and give yourself a plug.
1: Yeah, okay. Uh, well, there's, the, there's a Bible Matrix site uh, page on Facebook That's maybe the first place to go. Uh, My website is BibleMatrix.com.au. Don't forget the AU because then you'll go to another weird Bible matrix site, which is Swiss or something. I don't know. I've been there. (laughs) (laughs) So.com.au. Okay. Australia. So Bible matrix.com.au. There's a welcome page there, which will sort of, if you're a beginner, it'll give you some steps to sort of places to start. I am working on a, a course at the moment, um, so that, that'll be online hopefully later in the year, which will run you through. Because if you like me, I learn better with lectures and video than I do with reading books. I can write books, I struggle to read them. Um, uh, and I've got books. That, there's a link on there as well to my books on on Amazon. And uh, but yeah, the welcome page on biblematrix.com.au is probably the best place to go at the moment. And I'm on Twitter as well. If you like to, uh, you know to to laugh and 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 cry.
0: <laughs> so um, so I picked these up after I I got into Bible Matrix. Uh, I had to go back and reread some things after I got into both Yeah, uh,
1: of yeah those are the um those are for people who kind of yeah, this, the first one of those books actually says if you haven't read these other books, put this book right down now like you, Yeah. I had to dive, go back. You're diving in the deep end. Yeah, but if you once you've got the the good thing is once you've got the basic structure under your belt it's really just a matter of recognizing it in all these different places it's like it's like a like a, a a seal stamped in different stuff you can see it stamped in rock you can see it stamped in mashed potato there it is again you know god god's pattern is is everywhere so um it's it's uh the complexity all boils down to a basic formula which is is the key which is means it's it's uh anybody can do it. Anybody can do it.
0: Yep. Well, Mike, again, thank you so much, brother, for giving me your time. Thanks for coming on and having a conversation with me today. And guys, uh, like, share this video on Facebook. Also, be sure to rate the podcast on uh, whatever platform that you are listening to it on, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, any of those. And uh, hope you guys will tune in the next time and we'll see you then. See see you.
1: Bye.